right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, it's game day. What's going on? Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We will air coverage for you. KU taking on Stony Brook. Tip off 7 o'clock. Pregame starts at 530 here on KLWN and KLWN. Dot com. And so, not that I don't love my job, but game day means mm-hmm. we get to leave early. <laughs> yeah, a little half hour uh, early out of here, and Stony Brook is the opponent. Do you, off the top of your head, do you know uh, what Stony Brook's mascot is? Uh, yeah, it's the Seawolves. Um, That's correct. And I knew that the reason I, I, I and I got it, well, and I mentioned it uh, last night in my sports update. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I did know that was just comes from hours of, um, destroying friendships and relationships by wasting all my time watching basketball tournaments in March. Because <laughs> I love the, I mean, you know how much I love those uh, mid-major conference tournaments. So that's how I learned about the Stony Brook Seawolves was one of those hours and hours of, of mid-major basketball tournaments I watched in, the, in March. Well, let's learn a little about Stony Brook. I, um, I couldn't tell you where they are. Stony Brook, the town that they're in, I don't know anything that's about. That's a good question. I know they're in New York. But the only thing I know about them yeah, is it's in Stony Brook, New York. Is it the only thing I know about them is that they're the Sea Wolves? Yeah, but cool. I, I'm always a fan of anybody who has unique mascot names, right? Like you have the Mastodons. I think that's IPFW. IPFW. Uh-huh. Just anything that's not like we need to get away from. You know, we don't need any more Wildcats or Wildcats, Eagles or Tigers, Bobcats, Eagles, Tigers, Bulldogs. Right? If you're if you're already that, that's fine. But if you're a new school or I don't know, even if you are I, one I of those, like, maybe considering changing. I mean, no offense. I mean, I know we got the the Chesty Lions are in action tomorrow mm-hmm. night, and that's really exciting. And I hope they beat Derby. But Firebirds is a cool name, man. Like that's a cool oh, name right here in town. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, the Chesty Lions are fine, but the Firebirds—that's a cool name. No, I was I was thinking about that because I I always have these thoughts. Like I wish there were more unique mascot names, and you know, I just I do appreciate that that you do have the Firebirds. If I ever became in town. a billionaire, I was going to start an NBA franchise in Kansas City called the Kansas City Adams. Would the logo be your face? Maybe. Okay. I know we've had the conversation before about the Adam Dravetta Bowl. Yeah, that's where the other thing I would the do. Face of your bowl game or the. The face, the face in the middle my of the big field. fat head would be on the 50 yard line yeah <laughs> which i i don't know what have you put any thought at all into what the end zones would be i'd, I'd let the teams get a shout out there mm-hmm. paint the paint the team okay. names in the so end zone you'd be nice enough there yeah. at least um anyway that one will not the, happen one the, tonight one of the bowl gifts would be mm-hmm. a, a picture of me <laughs> here <laughs> the hotels they stay at like all the artwork is just like me different drawings of you some are like silhouettes some are yeah. Just, uh, anyway, uh, so Stony Brook so is yes, 0-1. Back to Stony Brook. Yes, uh, they lost 74-52 to to George Mason, which turns out to be a pretty darn good George Mason team coached by. Coached by a name that we will, uh, that, that uh, fans in KU will have uh, some bad memories of and some good memories of, depending on the game you're mentioning. But Kim English is their coach. That's right. Who I, I got to say, I've said many times before, um, I view Missouri as much more of a rival than I do Kansas State. Um, the the hatred in a sports sense. I don't feel any human hatred toward Missouri. But in a sports sense, I feel hatred much more toward Missouri than any other school. And I hate admitting this, man, but I, Kim English is a likable dude. And he's a really likable guy. He is leading this George Mason team. He was previously an assistant. I can't remember where before taking over as the head coach I think here. Louisville. I don't remember where it was. But anyway, they're 4-0 right now, and they just upset Maryland last night, who a preseason top 25 team there. Um, certainly with Missouri losing to UMKC makes you think, hey, maybe Kim English could be the, the future Missouri head coach. And boy, would that be great for the renewed rivalry that's that would, upcoming with KU and he Missouri. He really, I mean, because he was on that team that, um, and I know we got to get to Stony Brook here, and we're talking about George Mason and Kim English, but he really, like, 
it was one of those things where KU fans hated him. One because he was, first off, if he 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 kind of had he kind of had fun trash talking a little bit. Now, if he wasn't good, nobody would have cared. But the fact that he was good made people hate him. If you're a KU fan, um, but he was so good for that team. Not only because he was a really good player, that was a particularly good Missouri squad his senior year. Uh, but he really talked up that rivalry um, that last year that Missouri was in the Big 12. I mean, he was good for that fan base, I, and they loved him. And and why wouldn't look? Again, I hate you know. I don't want to say nice things about a Missouri guy, but he is one of those guys where if you can't not love him if he's playing for your team. Yeah, and and, and I think it would be big time. I mean, the the Missouri KU rivalry to me will always always be big, and it's coming back this year, and I'm I love that, and I'm excited about that. But if you get a guy like Kim English on the sideline in Columbia, that would that would not it wouldn't be to the level it was when they were in the same conference, but that would ignite a lot to that rivalry. Yes, it would. So we'll be on the lookout for that. But again, we'll try to stay on on topic. Back here. to this. The Back reason we Stony brought Brook. that up yeah. is George Mason, coached by Kim English, has handed mm-hmm. Stony Brook their. Their only loss of the season? Yep, they that's their only game, okay. and they lost by 22. Last year, Stony Brook was 9-14. and 14. Um, They were one of the worst offenses in the country. They could not shoot threes. They shot 28% Woof. from threes um, in conference play, but they did have a fine defense, I guess, you know, compared to, I guess, the conference. Um, prior to last season, though, they had back-to-back top two finishes in the America East, 2019-2020, and this year, they were picked as preseason favorites to win the conference, despite the fact that they finished in the bottom half of the league last year. And here's the reason why. They return seven of their top eight scores from a season ago. And they also, this is kind of odd. This is like the transfer portal in a nutshell, uh, the craziness of it. Elijah, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Olani, Olanai, I, I don't know how you pronounce that last name, but um, he played three seasons at Stony Brook. Transferred to Miami last year, where he averaged ten and a half points per game at Miami. Then with oh, the extra Ohio COVID Florida? year, uh, Florida. Okay. Then with the extra so he COVID year, big time. He played big boy ball. He came back to Stony Brook this year. I looked up when I saw that on the show prep sheet. I looked up their coach, and their coach was, if I'm doing my math right, was an assistant. So their coach got promoted to to being a head coach. He was an assistant. Now he has some uh, some higher level experience. I think he's coached at Western Kentucky and at Kent State. Um, so their coach, I forget his name, uh, has some, it's a very Eastern, uh, American name. Um, like somebody you'd expect to coach in New York. I can't remember his name, but anyway, he would have been an assistant when this Elijah player played. So it's not like he left because of a coaching change, then came back. This guy would have been on the bench the whole time this guy was in. It's Gino Ford. Gino. Okay. Yeah. It's a very. It sounds like a guy would be from Connecticut or New York or someplace like that. Um, but anyway, so it, it was weird to me that he transferred because I thought, oh, maybe he transferred because they brought in a new coach. But this guy, even if he wasn't the head coach, he would have been an assistant coach with this Elijah player there. So it's kind of an odd thing. But anyway, he's back. This is weird. That'd be like if Charlie Moore came back to maybe Kansas he had a this girlfriend. year. Maybe he had a girlfriend on, on campus, and he was like, hey, I want to get back, or I just. I liked, or I thought I'd like the big college experience, and I don't. And I want to go back to New York. Or what if he broke up with his girlfriend at Stony Brook? Said, you know, what? I'm going to live the single life down in Miami. Yeah. And then he was like, you know, what? I want to get back together with you. I'll come back up to Stony Brook. Um, and that maybe I don't know. Maybe that's how it worked out. Does this not feel like the and, and rest in peace to Larry Keating? Does this not feel like the Larry Keating special? Of it, was that is he Stony Brook guy? No, no, but Larry Keating was the former scheduling guy and, again, passed oh, away. yeah, um, okay, okay. But he okay, would now, always, yeah. he was always known for scheduling we, these teams who would finish at the top or yeah, he in the got top a lot two of or they, three of, it might of, have, go ahead. Uh, of their just, like, small conference, um, and it would help kind of boost, this is back when the RPI was a thing, but now you hope it, it boosts up kind of your net rating, and then they start to rack up wins over the course of the season. Again, they're picked to finish first in the America East. This feels like the old Larry Keating special. That's a great point, and Newell even, I think it was Newell, somebody did an article about Keating when he was still, um, not not of course when he was still with us, but also when he, when he still worked, because I think prior to passing he did retire, um, but when he when he was still at KU, maybe it was in his last season. Somebody did an article about him, and you're absolutely right. I haven't even thought about that uh, because everyone just talked about oh, Bill Self loves to play these even the mid majors or the top of their conference. 
But then we found out, well, no, it's this Larry Keating guy who makes a lot of a big portion of the schedule. And you're 100% right. I mean, is anybody going to be surprised in how, you know, if Stony Brook winds up in the tournament, now those conference tournaments are single elimination, so they get a little weird. So a lot of times you don't get the one seed. But if they win their regular season conference, that that wouldn't. Yeah. They're in the American East, aren't they? Yes, same as Vermont and UMBC. Albany, Albany's yep. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, that wouldn't surprise anybody if they win their conference. Not just because, you know, not just because they're they're picked to win, but also if if KU has scheduled them, that probably means they're a, a talented mid major. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that with the with the Larry Keating thing but you're right he does he he was really good and even after they transitioned from the RPI to the net he found ways to to keep them up in there too with with the scheduling so it's just kind of a perfect situation there because of that to play a team that can maybe I don't know it doesn't tank your your strength of schedule and in some ways can kind of help it while also an opportunity for you to win big KU's favored by 25 and a half points in this game um, Ken Palm, I believe, has it at 84 to 59, which would be right on the dot there for the spread. If I was, I guess, having to gamble this game, it's hard not to look at Stony Brook losing by 22 to George Mason and say, yeah, well, KU is four points or more better than George Mason, but we know it doesn't always you know, work that way. They could play a better game than um, they did against George Mason in the opener. Um, so I would I'd probably take... Uh, KU to cover the spread and, and the over on the 142. I think part of the reason why KU could end up being like a a Vegas juggernaut this year because of the fact that they have such good depth that you think about at the end of the games, it's not just a situation now where it's, hey, there's three minutes left, we're up 18, now we're going to throw out there, you know, Chris Tehan, three other walk-ons, and yeah. one guy who, like Tyon Grant Foster, who's barely even playing to begin with. Uh, now it is like, no, our our last three minutes, like it was the other day against Tarleton State, you have like Joe Yesifu playing the last three minutes, a guy who put up, what, like 20, 30 points against USC in the, the NCAA tournament last year? Yeah. I feel like they could be just like a Vegas juggernaut because of that in these kind of smaller tier games. I hadn't even considered that, but you're 100% right. It's there, the the dudes that, that Bill Self is going to be able to take off the bench uh, when KU is up big this season, are still going to be dudes who can start at a lot of other mm-hmm. Power Five, or if you want to count the Big East. I know in football it's Power Five, but if you want to count the Big East in basketball, it's Power Six. But they could play at at and like Joe Yesifu would be it, Conference Player of the Year if he would have transferred to an American East school. Oh yeah, yeah, and he would start at a lot of Big Twelve schools. Yeah, so yeah, the the you're you're still pulling starting caliber Big Twelve players off the bench late in games with big leads. You're not trying to run up the score. That's just the luxury of depth mm-hmm. that this team has. So you could be absolutely right. I mean, Self has never been the run-up-the-score kind of guy. Um, of course, we had um, old boy from Monmouth who was indignant that his team was getting <laughs> doubled up, so he had a steal and a dunk and a technical. That was that was a hoot. Um, but, yeah, you could be 100% right. I, it, the biggest thing, I think, for this one is – uh, this will be the last chance to see, uh, and the last chance for Joe Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford to stake their claim, and Christian Brown to a point. Although I still think Christian Brown has carved up a play, carved out a place in the lineup for himself, even if it's not as a starter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time talking about Pettiford and Yesifu, and what will that look like once Jalen Wilson is, comes back? This will be their last chance. Ideally, you hope this will be the last chance for them to carve that out because you don't want. You obviously don't want another suspension. You don't want an injury. You don't want an illness. Um, so you hope that this will be the last time that they have a chance to carve out a niche with a a, a regular starter on the bench, as Jalen Wilson will be tonight. And I'll be back for, what, North Texas next week? Yep, North Texas for the first round of that, uh, whatever, ESPN Orlando Invitational or whatnot. Um, I uh, I uh, kind of just lost my train of thought. Um I think what you said with yeah, I I think what you said with the uh, the stake part of it with the rotation, that's the most interesting part of tonight. It's it's the last claim for everybody to to you know make that push. It's almost like the last preseason game in an NFL season where you're like man. 52, 53, 54, 55 on the roster, and it's like, will I make the cut? Because, like you said, like with Christian Brown, um, 
could he be at risk of losing any minutes with Jalen Wilson coming on and taking away minutes at the four? Uh, could a guy like, I, I don't even know if Jalen Coleman lands will play. That was mentioned by Bill Self that he kind of got banged back up with his toe. Um, he mentioned that he doesn't know if Dewan Harris will continue to start with Jalen Wilson coming back. If Remy Martin has a bad game, would he go back to the bench when Jalen Wilson comes back? Like you said, Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yesfu, as we've talked about so much this week, there's only so many minutes and, and roles and opportunities to go around that when Jalen Wilson comes back, there's not going to be that opportunity afforded to everybody. So to that notion, that last stake for everybody, what does the lead guard rotation look like tonight? You know, do we see more Pettiford and Yesifu in terms of minutes played? And if so, who does it cost? Does KJ Adams and Zach Clements, do they start to carve out more of a role? And does David McCormick, I think, start to, con- or I guess not start to, but continue to be a good shot blocker around the rim. I think all of those things are on the storyline um, that I'm kind of looking at tonight, and, and something organically can pop up that we weren't even thinking of coming into it. But I think all of those will play into how I'm watching tonight's game, and certainly what you said is going to be the most prevalent. Uh, and and Self has not been quiet. We played his audio uh, yesterday or two days ago. Self has not been quiet about how happy he's been with Jalen uh, Wilson in practice. He said how much faster they are uh, with Jalen Wilson, and we talked about a lot of that could be not just because he's a fast person, but because he can rebound plus handle the ball and start a fast break. So, I mean, there's no question in my mind Jalen Wilson is going to be a huge part of this team uh, once uh, once he returns from the suspension. And, you know, self, he said, you know, in a statement, he was disappointed uh, in the decision-making of Wilson, but he got a suspension. And from everything Self has said since the suspension has begun, uh, he has been happy with how Wilson has handled himself in practice and how he views what this team is capable of with Wilson on the floor. Uh, he likes Jalen Wilson as a ball player, man. Yeah. At least outwardly, he seems to. Yeah, you would think, and, and we even brought this up when the suspension first happened, like, does this turn into something where you're in the doghouse? And I, I remember several times last season, you know, it was never – Something that, that caused Jalen Wilson to really miss time. But there was, I think, the Tennessee game where he didn't start, right? He had to come off the bench. And I remember there being comments from Bill Self, which weren't, you know, he didn't directly state Jalen Wilson, but it seemed like they were kind of directed at Jalen Wilson that, like, you know, you need to play harder. You need to worry about things that aren't necessarily just scoring the basketball. Uh, things like that. And with, I think... M- I think this goes in line for Ochai as well, and I think we've seen this a lot with college basketball players, KU players as well. The ability for for guys to go into the draft process and have – because it's one thing for, like, your coach in college or something to tell you, hey, you need to get better at this. But for guys who have NBA aspirations, some guys might hear that and go, yeah, I know I got to get better at it, but I'm still a superstar. Like, I'm still going to get drafted. Yeah, and you're just my coach. Of course, you're going to keep pushing me. Exactly. To hear hear a scout to say, dude, you're not ready, this, 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 and this. Exactly. And and to see the way those guys work out, to get other experiences from other top-end players who are going through the same process. And to maybe even get now, now a lot of, I think all of those scrimmages are, and drills are, are private, but, I mean, it's entirely possible that they went to the NBA Combine and just got worked yeah. by other dudes. Well, I know Jalen Wilson um, kind of did struggle in some of the scrimmage settings, so maybe that, that kind of gives you a, I don't know, a different perspective on things. And It's almost like I, I've talked about with the Royals, they talk about pitchers, and, and, and there are a lot of times where they'll, they'll keep telling a pitcher will be dominating at the AAA level. And they'll keep saying, you need to add this pitch, you need to add this pitch, and they won't work on that third or fourth pitch. So then they call them up, and they get shelled, and you know, they give up six runs in one and a third innings. And that's kind of the way major league teams will say, hey, we told you, you know, but you wouldn't listen, so we brought you up to the major league level for you to get embarrassed. Um, it's almost like that. That's, that's something I would compare it to. Yeah. So I think that, Whatever it is that's caused that, Bill Self really respects this kid and, and likes what he has done over the offseason. Liked him last year as a player, even though there were a couple moments where he seemingly kind of called him out. And now it's pretty incredible that even through all this stuff, the suspension, like Bill Self has had a lot of glowing things to say about Jalen Wilson over the past couple of weeks and, and how he's kind of handled this whole situation. And that makes tonight, like you said, the last stake for some of these guys 
to try to uh, put in a bid for more minutes or a better spot in the rotation. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. KU coverage starts in a couple hours. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. In the least surprising news ever, Antonio Brown has been found out to have been have using a I, I made this allegedly very, allegedly yeah yeah and I made that sound very complicated um a fake covid vaccine card to get out of cuz they have they have different rules than the NFL right if you you don't have to get the vaccine but if you don't get the vaccine you just have extra like tests you're, you just, you're basically if you don't get the vaccine you're basically you go back to last year's rules correct to where you know you can't you, you have go, to wear go a mask out around anybody exactly yeah. um you have to get tested i think more often than if you have the covid vaccine and he had a fake covid vaccine card so that he didn't have to do all that two things one antonio brown's an idiot we knew that for <laughs> a long time well let me let me give him some some he does a lot of idiotic things. All right, a person is not always defined by their actions, so maybe he's not an idiot, but it's fair to say he's been caught doing a lot of idiotic things, um, including almost freezing off his entire foot in a cryo mm-hmm. chamber. Um, yeah, and by the way, this it, story it, leaks out from a chef who he owes $10,000 to. Yeah, it stems to. from an idiotic yeah. thing. <laughs> he owes ten grand to somebody. How do you get in that much debt? <laughs> yeah. To one person. Um, but... Uh, no, I, the other thing I was going to say is there's no way he's the only person in the in pro sports doing this. Oh, no, 100%. Um, it's just, like I said, least surprising that it is Antonio Brown. Uh, sticking in the NFL, ESPN released an article today. It went through, and all 32 teams in the NFL lists out their most heartbreaking loss in franchise history. The Chiefs won a lot to choose from, right? could have chosen many in the 90s you could have chosen i don't know maybe the no punt game in 2003 you could have chosen um either of the uh big leads that you blew against the Colts and the Titans but the answer they went with the 1996 game against the Colts when they were the one seed they were 13 and 3 headed in the playoffs i believe they would have hosted the Steelers in the AFC Championship game that year and they won yeah and they lost 10 to 7 to the Colts because Lynn Elliott Missed three field goals, including what would have been a game-tying field goal with, was it no time remaining? Three 40, seconds. 40 seconds. Okay. It was 40 seconds. The Colts were able to kneel it out. Uh, you were what? I was one years old. One year old. Okay. Yeah. Uh, were you even one? When's your I don't birthday? know. When was the uh, January 5th, 1995. Okay. Maybe you were one. Yeah. Um, I remember that vividly. I remember that year vividly. Um, I remember a game against... Um, by the way, I see what you did there. You got my birthday. Next thing you're going to be asking what my, you know, the street name I grew up on, what yeah. my social security is. Name. I'm watching you. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll wait longer and you'll forget <laughs> about that before I ask the next question. Anyway, um, I remember there was a game against the Patriots that year uh, that was, you know, the, Drew Bledsoe was was kind of leading a, a what would have been a game-winning drive and, and the Chiefs got an interception to finish him off. Tamark Vanover returned a punt for a touchdown against the Chargers on overtime on Monday Night Football that year. Uh, the Chiefs won a lot of games in very dramatic fashion. One of their only losses was going to Dallas on Thanksgiving and losing twenty-four to twelve. So when the Chiefs got the one seed, a lot of thought, a lot of people thought maybe there's a chance to get some revenge over Dallas. They meet him in the Super Bowl. That Super Bowl was in Tempe that year. Um, they had a game. They went to Denver, and it was one of the rare. Not only did they go to Denver and win against John Elway, they won by a lot. It was like twenty by by ninety standards. They won twenty one to seven in the snow in Denver. I mean, there was a lot of excitement going into that playoffs. The Chiefs had the one seed. Everyone kind of thought, all right, you know, we got to the AFC title game with Joe Montana a couple of years ago, but this is it. Everything's clicking. This is a great team. Uh, it was 11 degrees. This is a team that plays indoors. The Colts coming in. Um, everything's going, you know, I'll say this. Lynn Elliott 
because he missed so many field goals, takes a lot of heat off of Steve Bono, who threw three interceptions that game. Chiefs started off the scoring that game with a Steve Bono pass to Lake Dawson for a touchdown. It was 7-0. I want to say the Colts made it 7-7 by halftime, and then it was 10-7 in the third or fourth quarter. Um, I remember we were at my neighbor's house, and it was just disappointing. It, it was awful. It was sad. I remember going into that December um, the Chiefs were like 11-3 and or 12-3 and at one point. They had to go to Miami, who had knocked us out of the playoffs the year before. We lost that one, or the Chiefs lost that one, but then they came back, and to get home field advantage, they had to beat Seattle uh, on Christmas Eve. That game was at Arrowhead. It was a no-doubter. It was like 26-3, to and everything was like, this is great, man. The one seed, home field advantage, undefeated at home that year, and then... That. I mean, an absolute stinker. Yeah, Seven were, points. They were number one in points allowed that year, number two in total yards allowed. They were number one in net yards per attempt in the air allowed, second in yards per attempt rushing allowed. That defense was insane. Yeah, they allowed 10 points. <laughs> and they lost. And they lost. So that's unfortunate. That was, Who knows? That was, that was Maybe miserable. Maybe to me more To me, more miserable than the the – Blowing the, the so lead would you agree with that? Colts. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Because there's expectations. Yeah. There so expectations. for me, I was one year old, so this wouldn't the, be my answer. The, the obviously, the Colts but. won. The Colts won in, in with the Andrew Luck comeback. That was annoying um, because he thought, oh god, finally we're going to get rid of this playoff losing streak. I didn't really expect to go into New England in 2003 and 04 and win. So I didn't. I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't have huge hopes cuz that team started 9 and 0 and finished 13 and 3 and some cracks started to show in the facade. They they allowed like 40 something to Denver late in that season. They allowed 40 something to Minnesota late in that season. So, I didn't that team was not a a, real, a worthy Super Bowl contender. That at 95 Chiefs team, um even though they didn't have a particularly good quarterback, was a legitimate world championship contender and they blew it by scoring 7 points at home. In the divisional round. I didn't know this. Defensive backs coach was Herm Edwards. Quarterbacks coach was Mike McCarthy. Now he's with was the Cowboys. Was he on that? Okay. Facing the Chiefs this very weekend. It all ties together. I, but knew, I knew he had ties. I knew he, one of his co first coaching jobs was with Kansas City. Well, part of the reason I bring this up, not just from the Chiefs aspect, um, I'm curious. Like, if we had to relate this to KU basketball, you know, we could say KU football, but, you know, what are you going to say? Um, if you had to with KU basketball, Pick your most, however you want to term it, frustrating, disappointed, heart-wrenching, that might be the best term to use here, losses of watching KU basketball. Which ones come to mind first? Arizona, 1997. Mm-hmm. The year before, we were a two-seed. They were a three-seed. I shouldn't I think, say we as much. Um, I think if we asked anybody about your age or older, that, yeah, that, that would probably be the number that, one that answer. Team, that KU team lost one game all year. They were ranked number one. Every week except one or two, uh, they were incredible. They returned everybody from a team that the year before was a two seed and lost in the Elite Eight. Um, that was the team, man. That was the team. 0-2 against Maryland was annoying, uh, but that was the fir- they'd finally broken through and got to the Final Four for the first time since 93. So there was something satisfying in that, even though uh, that was annoying to lose that one. Uh, I think Kansas was the better team against Syracuse in 03, so that was really – that hurt a lot. Um, but I do think Syracuse was an awful matchup for Kansas with their length, and, and credit where credit's due. Syracuse played a really good game that night. Um, but the thing about deep runs, even losing in a national title game hurts, but you have good memories. Right. Like I have great memories from 03 of beating Arizona in the Elite Eight and beating Duke in the Sweet 16 and, and rolling over Marquette in the Final Four. Like, I have great memories from that season. I didn't get to pick up on any good memories in 97. 98, losing to, to uh, Rhode Island in the second mm. round as a one seed was was annoying. Um, VCU, because the, yeah, final, the, final to- the Final Four had set up for Kansas to just walk to a right. title that Okay, year. so yeah, if we let's let's narrow this down now to the self era. You, you mentioned VCU. VCU. That would be the number one by far. Okay. No, uh, Northern Iowa, I saw coming from a mile away. The day that bracket was released, it was you. My first thought was, "Hey, cool, UNLV is in our eight nine game, and UNLV was in the eight nine game in 08. and that's <laughs> okay. who we beat in the second. That's who Kansas beat in the second round. Mm-hmm. 
And then Northern Iowa popped up, and I was like, my God, this is I, – I just – that that KU team um, – Rustin Dodd put it really well on Twitter. The the oh, the 2010 team had all the right notes but couldn't make music. The 2011 team had it going. The 2011 team was so fun. Uh, people hated them because the more I were on there. Um, the 2010 team that that Northern Iowa was the team that was going to beat Kansas. Kansas went three and zero against the top ten K State team that year. If they had gotten to the Elite Eight, they would have won the national title and it wouldn't have been close in a lot of games because they showed up in big games. But they lost. They started the year losing to Memphis, fifty nine fifty seven, and that was a post Calipari Memphis team that wasn't that good. Uh, they they Cornell Cornell yeah, came in right. came in Allen Fieldhouse and gave Kansas all they could take. That was a team that the two losses that that team suffered were at Tennessee, who was like a seven seed in the tournament, and at Oklahoma State, who was like an eight seed in the tournament. The teams that gave KU trouble that year were teams that were had talent, were good enough. But we're not good enough for KU to take seriously, and that was exactly what Northern Iowa was. They hovered around the, the top 25. They came from a mid-major conference. As soon as that bracket came out, I looked at that game, or I looked at that, and I thought, I really hope UNLV beats Northern Iowa. So, as 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 annoying and hurtful as that Northern Iowa loss was, I just I saw it coming on yeah. Selection Sunday. No, I, I mean, there's always those games. For me, because I, I wasn't a KU fan till I came to KU in 2013. Um, Speaking like, of, the, your, the spring of your senior year, that was another one against Michigan. Yeah, that one was annoying. At that point, I knew I was coming to KU in the last couple months of the season. I, I started rooting for them, but I didn't have as, as deep of ties with the team yet, so like it was annoying, but it wasn't like the end of the world for me. But the way that game goes, I could understand that. Um, I, I had that same feeling you mentioned with the Northern Iowa where it was like, oh, we're losing this game. And I'm sure a lot of fans had this too. Uh, the year, well, it was 2014, 2015, where you got matched up. You knew Wichita State was Wichita probably. State, yeah. And you were like, I hope Indiana beats Wichita State. they almost State. did. Right. They almost did, yeah. And, but they yeah. I, I felt a little better about that game because KU came in to their 2-15 matchup and just, I think it was New Mexico yeah. State. And I thought, oh, that looks kind of scary. They could, you know. They pummeled them. Uh, and mm -hmm. they just, yeah, they crushed New Mexico yeah, from State. The get -go. And I thought, okay, you know, there's something there. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think that was, even though they didn't make a deep run in the tournament, I thought that was one of Bill Self's best coaching years. Mm -hmm. To get that collection of players to a two seed was Which it's really funny impressive. Because we look back and we say that collection of players. And it's I mean, like, it was really good. You're right. But it's it, no, but that was that. Because I, I agree. That was a four seed. That was a four seed. I agree with you. Like. It's just funny looking back and it's like, what do you mean? They had Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, yeah. Kelly Oubre. But it's just they weren't like the versions we remember them as, right? Yeah. They were they were predetermined by that. I, I think for me, you know, anytime you lose in the Elite Eight, I, I this gets talked about all the time. Uh, to your point on long runs, sometimes you can still have that in the Elite Eight. Like, even though the Frank Mason team lost in the Elite Eight, that really does bother me. But I also, I will always remember fondly that Sweet 16 game against Purdue. Where they're, they're up. You got yeah, down a little like, early. Yeah. But and then, then you hit that run. LeGerald Vick has the 360 exactly, they're dunk. Up, they're up like 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. And then LeGerald Vick gets the 360 dunk them. and they just roll them. Yeah. So I'll always, uh, but anytime you do lose in the Elite Eight, you do have a little of those memories. Nova it, and 16. Yeah. That it's just, one hurt it, Once lot. you get to the Final Four, it's like, oh, cool. We get hats. We get shirts. We get to hang a banner. But you're just one away from that in the Elite Eight. So you don't even get the banner of if you don't win the national title. And, yeah, Villanova, that one. Because I still think, I've, since I've been a fan since 2013, like I said, when I, when I went to KU, I still think that 2015-2016 team was the best KU team that I've so seen in my good, time. so man. They, Some people um, would argue the one from a couple years ago, which I'd be fine with. But they, that team, and the way they had played, and the way that you know, as you know, down the stretch and into the tournament, I going into that game, I thought, okay, this, you know, they played a terrible half, and they were down by about five to Villanova. Then at one point in the second half, they got up five. And I was sitting there thinking, this is going to be blowout city. Kansas is going to win this going away, and, and we're going to be able to charge Mass Street with three minutes left in this game. I really, truly thought that. Um, Devontae Graham, I mean, I, I'm never I'm never going to put a whole game on the refs, but he it was a terrible call yeah. that he fouled out on. But look, it was a close game. It's not easy to be an official. K, you know, Villanova made good plays. KU made bad plays. It, it, that's not why KU lost, but that was a bad call. They um, 
so many of those Elite Eight losses, the heartbreaking ones, had come because KU was uh, down by a bunch early and just didn't have enough time to chisel back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a different. That was different because it was. Uh, it was. Um, you know, KU got the lead in the second half and then lost it. So that was that one hurt a lot because that was such a good basketball team. Man. It really was. I, I yeah. So for me, it's either that team or the Frank Mason team. Not because of the game itself, but just you know, eliminating Frank Mason, obviously. But that 2015-16 team, they won 17 straight games before that. Ten of those 17 were by double digits. They were on an absolute roll. After, like, January, they had that, like, three-game road-losing streak. Yeah. And I think they inserted Landon Lucas into a full-time starting role at the center, and they just took off from there. All right, one hour down, two to go. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, depending on it. little Thursday night foosball on tonight in the NFL, 7.20. I don't even know why I gave the time. I don't really care. Uh, Patriots-Falcons taking each other on. Rematch, Super Bowl, handful of years ago. Um, the Patriots have kind of worked themselves into this thought about being, you know, one of the better teams in the AFC now. I think if they win tonight and kind of keep rolling, I think it'd be five in a row. They would be the standalone kind of primetime game tonight. Like, there's going to be buzz growing that they are the team to beat in the AFC. Where's the game? Uh, the reason I ask is In the United States of America. Hilarious. Um, it's in Atlanta. Ooh, I may pick the Falcons then. It's I hate Thursday night football, man. I hate it. <laughs> um, I hate Thursday night football. It's, it's always a terrible game. The college, whoever is playing in the MAC tonight is going to put on a better show than this. I mean, it's always a turd on Thursday night in the NFL. Um, these, Good thing we got some KU basketball, Exactly. Baby. These people are so routine-oriented that it freaks them out whenever they have, I mean, I, I don't know. I really, truly don't. I think they need to, I would prefer more Saturday games. And, and I mean, and I love college football, but if you really want to try to, to break into some more time slots, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, but it is if 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 you know if the road team is to win tonight, it would you know the Patriots would all of a sudden move to six and four, seven, seven and four. four, yeah, with a win, seven and four. Um, I still have a hard time seeing them catching the Bills in the East, but it's possible. I mean, the AFC East is more of a race than the AFC South right now. Right now, so I, it's you know it's not out of the realm of possibilities that not only are the Patriots going to make the playoffs, they could play a home game, you know in the playoffs and and so that's um there's a lot going on with this game and and um is Joe is it Mac Jones? Yeah. The kid Did you from know what Alabama Mac is, is short for? Um um Mac Cretinus. An old Greek guy. <laughs> I mean it's not like okay, it's 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 not close to that in terms of like sounding like that, but it's it's not far from that in terms of how ridiculous it is. Go on. So his his full name is his first name is actually Michael. Okay, it's it, the Mac is short for his middle name, which is McCorkle. I'd prefer whatever I just said that I've already forgotten. <laughs> yeah. McCorkle, huh? Yeah, McCorkle. That's what Mac is short for. I just tell him that it was because I had an uncle that couldn't pronounce Mike, and he <laughs> called me Mac. So it would be a southern thing to do. Um, uh, it, it is interesting to me, though, that, I mean, he's been getting all this talk about, like, how great of a rookie quarterback he, he has been. And, and, yes, like, considering he is a rookie, he's, he's been just, awesome. He's been not terrible. Exactly. I think, is the- and and I'll, I'll give him this. Like, the Browns game, fantastic. You're 19 of 23 for three touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, yes, that'll do it. 84 QBR. He's, he's having very much a 2010 Matt Castle season. Yes. Like, he's, he's eliminated a lot of mistakes, but you're not watching him going, whoa, that's an MVP caliber quarterback. Like, to your point, he's 14th in yards. 17th in touchdowns, 17th in interceptions, and he's 18th in total QBR, right? He's been a fine quarterback, but considering he's a rookie... And against the rest of the... I mean, the, on top of the fact that the rest of the rookies drafted in this quarterback class have struggled. struggled. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, So, I, I'm not diminishing or anything. Like, I, I have been impressed with Mac Jones, and again, but the expectation, that's what it is. It's, it's more of the... Imp- that you're impressed against the expectation of... You know, you're the fifth quarterback taken in the draft. You're a rookie quarterback. You don't know how much you're going to give. You're a quarterback from Alabama? Yeah, it's just certainly like you just didn't know what you were going to get from him. 
at all. So the fact that he's even this competent right away is good. But I, I do think it's a little silly to start acting like just because the Patriots have won four games in a row now, and yes, they've blown out a couple teams, but you're talking about like the Jets and, and a beat-up Browns team that we're all of a sudden talking about this team in the same light as the Bills, the Ravens, I guess the Chiefs now again, and, and so forth. Like I, I think they're a legit team that I would not want to play in the playoffs because of the Bill Belichick factor, but they seem more like, to me, the team that you know they could beat anybody in the divisional round. I just I don't see them ho- hoisting the Lombardi Trophy at the they end of the year. They could beat any playoff team. But they cannot beat three or four in a row. Exactly. That's not, that's not what with they the, are. not with Mac Jones. No. Yeah, that's who they are. Yeah, they can beat any. There, you know, um, the 2010 Jets, who actually went to the AFC title mm-hmm. game, so they won two games. They upset the Colts and then went to New England and upset the Patriots. They're that. They can beat any one playoff team. They can't beat that many in a row. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, on the other end, if the Falcons win this, they move to five and five. You get right back in that NFC wildcard discussion because right now it looks like uh, maybe the seven seed in the NFC could end up being like nine and eight, maybe eight and nine with the right eight and nine. Um, Patriots buzz would die at that point if the Falcons win this game. And for Atlanta, I think, you know, it, it'd be pretty impressive for them to be even 500. They were had a top five pick last year. They were horrible a season ago. They're hovering around like they're hanging in there in the playoff race right now. I don't. I don't know yeah. what they're gonna do with Matt Ryan moving forward. Yeah. What? How old is he? Like, I think he's thirty-seven. There's going to be a run. As much as teams, as much as the NFL is a copycat league, It'll be thirty-seven in May. Okay. As much as the NFL is a copycat league with the with the success that the Chiefs had with Patrick Mahomes, you had a run on young quarterbacks in the draft, and now, although he's kind of cooled off recently, uh, but the. Early on, the success Matt Stafford was having in Los Angeles, I thought that meant you were going to have a run on veteran quarterbacks now um, because teams kind of, you know, they copy off one another. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this this probably means a little more to the Patriots, uh, and I'm basing that exclusively on I think they have a better shot at making the playoffs. Although you are right, you know, 9-8 and eight could get you in in the NFC, and um, as long as your, your head is above water and you're above 500 then you have a shot in the nfc right now so i don't know i just it's so hard for me to get excited for for thursday night football game man they're all bad yeah i just uh, from like a falcon standpoint like i said if they win this game and you're back in the wild card race if they end up making the wild card i think that makes because right now i think the idea is hey we're gonna draft the quarterback this next year and then we'll replace matt ryan maybe we trade him and get something out of him uh to a contending team or something like that but if you make the playoffs, that becomes a lot harder to trade your guy who has been your franchise quarterback for 15 years Packers are coming off it. a playoff team, right? Yeah, but I guess it's I, it, it's different circumstances, right? Yeah. It's not the Packers wanting to do it. It's Aaron Rodgers yeah, wanting yeah, it. Yeah, now, maybe true. Matt Ryan wants that to happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That, that all won't be decided tonight, but uh, I guess an intriguing uh, couple of teams in tonight's game, two, at the very I least. mean, it's two potential. You know, it's not teams. Jaguars, yeah, it's, Texans, it's right? It's two teams hot in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a uh, new segment that I want to get to. It is called Who Is It? It's a very simple game. I'm going to give you some stats and, and some baseline information about this person who is a athlete, current athlete, and you're going to try to guess who they are. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong, and then we're going to kind of discuss that player because some of these are going to be, actually, most of these are going to be very surprising. You ready? Do you have some music ready for this? Let's do it. All right, Fired let's get it, it going. All right, first up in Who Is It? This is a receiver in the NFC. He has 54 catches for 979 yards, which is second in the NFL. So he's second in the NFL in receiving. He also has five touchdowns. He's averaging 18 yards per catch. Who is it? NFC? Yes. I mean... I'll tell you what, NFC West... Oh, this baby man, down. I was gonna uh, the the guy for the Packers. Um, I don't know someone that Kyler Murray's throwing to. And yeah, that would, I, I don't I don't know they're they're receiving. Well, that would well probably enough. be the first thought in my mind, like DeAndre Hopkins or something like that. Maybe even like one of the the Seahawks receivers, like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. That is not the case. This receiver is one Debo Samuel. Which for the Niners? Yeah, for the 49ers. He was a Garoppolo still the right? quarterback. I guess yes. that's Trey Lance go a couple times. He, yeah, but that was just he was hurt and Jimmy G has, has played ever since then. Um 
this is pretty incredible season that he is having. I mean, to go from a guy who was injured a season ago, and now he legit looks like one of the best receivers in the entire NFL. Now, he's had injury concerns throughout his college career, and then, as I mentioned, um, in seasons past in the NFL. So we'll see if, if he can stay healthy. Was was he the one? I'm trying to—I don't think it was him. Um, I know he played on the Super Bowl team against Kansas City. But was he the one that they used very similarly to how the Chiefs used to use Tyree Kill on, like, a jet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was him? Yes. His rookie year. Um, he was second-round pick in uh, 2019. He was a rookie in that Super Bowl against the Chiefs. And, yes, they used him like that. They'd use him on jet sweeps. They'd, you know, they'd just get him the ball in the open field. And he had 802 receiving yards as a rookie, which is really good. Last year, again, though, played just seven games. He has been absolutely phenomenal this year. He's averaging over 100 yards receiving per game um he also has like a couple rushing touchdowns to go with it as well he's legit become one of the best weapons in the nfl and you don't really think about that because the niners are bad yeah they're below 500 the offense hasn't been great for san francisco but get to know this guy and here's another guy who we mentioned mccorkle uh is what mac comes out of i don't know where debo comes from if that comes from the movie is it friday the name Debo. Anyway, uh, his actual name is Tyshun Raekwon Samuel. Okay. He goes by Debo, which I think Debo is. I mean, Corey a cool name, Corey right? Johnson is nicknamed Poop Johnson. I don't even know what Pig. <laughs> I don't even know what Pig Howard's real name is. So, I, I mean, I can see that can make an NFL roster. Ha ha Clinton Dix is his Hashan, so mm-hmm. I can sort of see where that's coming from. I don't. I don't even try with nicknames or what's short for what anymore. Okay, number two. This is another NFL guy. He is a outside linebacker slash defensive end in the AFC. He has 35 tackles this year. More importantly, he has 10 sacks, which is third in the NFL. The only guys he's behind are Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. Do you know who this is? I guess who is it is the name of the game. So it's not, are you, would Von Miller count in this exercise, even though he's no longer in the AFC? Well, he could because, yeah, I guess. I don't know how that works. I actually haven't even thought about that because, right, like, I know in the MLB, like, if you're in the AL and the NL, you start having, like, different stats. You get that. I've, I've always thought that's so weird. Um, no, it is actually uh, Harold Landry the third For t- Tennessee? That is correct. He uh, has come in and, you know, for a defense that was one of the worst defense in the NFL last year. I, yeah. Him and Jeffrey Simmons on the defensive line. I think that's a big reason why they're having much more success. You're actually getting a pass rush. And this is a guy who had all sorts of sacks at Boston College. He comes out. I think he was a second-round pick for the Titans. Didn't do a whole ton. He was a fine rotational player early on in his career. He's having a breakout season this year. And, again, seriously, you're getting similar production from him out of just a few less sacks than guys like Miles Garrett or TJ Watt. I think when you're looking for explanations of how the Titans are so good, that has to be one of them. I think how the Titans are good and how he specifically is good has a lot to do with Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel's mm-hmm. a, a really good coach, man. Like, I really like Mike Vrabel as a coach. I, I don't know that he'll ever get to a Super Bowl without a better quarterback, but that guy's a really good coach. Would and you rank? And they're steamrolling toward the one seed right now. Would you rank Mike Vrabel as a top five coach in the NFL right now? Let's see, Reed. Belichick. Yeah. McVay. I think he's in the conversation. Yeah, I don't know. John yeah, Harbaugh. He's in the, I, the thing is, is, after you get past uh, Reed and, and Belichick, and probably John Harbaugh, where do you go? You can make I mean, a case McCarthy's won four. a world championship, but he also has missed playoffs. Right. I don't know. Vrabel's a really good coach, and, and yeah. his stock is pointing up. Yeah. But he's in that discussion, at the very least. Okay, uh, this one's on to the NBA. He is a forward in the NBA, averaging over 26 points. Five rebounds, four assists per game, and he's on a team who has a top three record in the Eastern Conference right now. Who is it? Well, you said top three. Yes. Um, so that means he's either a net. Of, at last check, he's either a net, a bull, or a wizard. Which, by the way, that is super odd that the Wizards are doing this well. <laughs> that that can't last. I don't know. It is. DeMar DeRozan. Really? Yeah. He was uh, San Antonio Spur, I think, last year. Um, former Toronto Raptor and signed with the Bulls. A lot of people were saying he got too much money. Well, that still might end up being the case a year or two down the road when he's a little bit older. But right now, no, certainly not the case. That is 
very clear all-star numbers for a guy on a team that is performing very, very well. Bulls are a fun team. They're a really good team. And in a year where, you know, there is, I think, a little less certainty about who's going to win it all, why not the Bulls? Yeah, I mean, I think the Warriors are running it away. Yeah, with, I, w- with I wouldn't everything, pick them, but... Um, with as far as who, who the best team now is, but, I mean, I, I can't... The Nets, I, I, I can't sit here and tell you why any team besides the Bulls, like, I can't make a great argument for why any team in the East is better than the Bulls. Like, yeah. I could put some teams that are at their level, but I can't sit here and, and tell you this, 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 and this, or why the Bulls are actually more like the fourth best team and not among the best of the best in the East, at least. He's been really good. Okay, last one I got. This is uh, this is a little off the beaten path here. Um this guy is a receiver in the Conference USA. How good's your Conference USA knowledge? Mine's very poor, I would say. But this receiver has 111 catches. He has 1,368 yards, and he has 11 touchdown receptions in 10 games. Is that 13 yards a catch? Uh, yeah, about, give or take. And 137 yards per game. This dude needs to be on some uh, Heisman ballots. Do you know who this is? Did you not hold well, this one against you at all? No, look, I know enough to know he probably plays for Eastern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I, I was going through, uh, when planning on talking Heisman, I was going through passing leaders, and I know they randomly have the, the leading passer, they do. passing yards, their quarterback. Yeah, Bailey uh, um, Zapp. I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it. But I know I can't name this this wide receiver. I couldn't even name the quarterback. I just know it was Eastern Kentucky because I knew the Eastern Kentucky quarterback because, like I said, I was looking up Heisman stats. I knew that the Eastern Kentucky quarterback was um, leading the the NCAA in, in, at that at the FBS level in, in passing yards. So it is Jareth Stearns who is a junior receiver. And this is interesting. Um, I remember we talked about this on the show last year because Houston Baptist almost beat Texas Tech in like the first game of the season. Were the refs against Texas Tech like they were in the Iowa State-Texas Tech game last week? Ah. Uh, but to be clear, I'm not saying the refs were. I'm making fun of the Texas Tech announcers. <laughs> yes, yes. Just in case you're wondering what side I'm on there. I have no idea. So, um, But anyway, this guy... Uh, Jared Stearns transferred in from Houston Baptist. He and the Zap guy, the quarterback, and Jared Stearns' brother. Did they come with the coach or what? Who's all on the team? I No, I think they just all wanted to transfer together. Uh, Houston Baptist is a uh, FCS school, so they all wanted to make a jump to an FBS program. But it's and not like the coach. It's not like no. the coach left out Houston Baptist for Eastern Kentucky and brought all these guys with him? No, not Weird. at all. So they're all having fantastic years. Josh Stearns. I don't know if he was at Houston Baptist or just came in because he's a freshman, unless this is like his second freshman year. But that's incredible. They pulled, put up like pretty good stats in the FCS level. But, I mean, the quarterback you mentioned, this is insane. 4,100 passing yards, 71% completion rate, 42 passing touchdowns to seven interceptions. I uh, haven't had There's a three chance. three more I don't know touchdowns. anything about their coach, I, but I, I'd be interested to see if he comes from the Hal Mummy, Mike Leach, Sonny Dykes tree. He's with got the, to. With the air raid offense. I don't Absolutely know. Absolutely has to. I mean, that's the only way I can think of. Uh, if you, I don't have great, our, this studio doesn't have great LTE service. Um, unless, of course, we get sponsored by a cell phone mm. company, in which case they give us great LTE <laughs> service in the studio. This receiver just reminds me of that Freddie Barnes dude. Do you remember him? No. From Bowling Green, he played in 2009. He was All-American. Was that when Bowling Green went undefeated until Turner Gill got him? Um, no, you're thinking of Ball Ball State. State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bowling Green. Get my Mac. Sorry, Freddie Barnes had 155 catches for 1,770 yards and 19 touchdowns his senior year. Didn't even get drafted because he ran like a 4.8 or something at the 40-yard dash. But apparently, great hands, great route runner, and uh, great smarts. All right, that is who is it? With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports.
about half past four. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. In an hour, we'll head over to pregame coverage, KU, taking on Stony Brook tonight at 7 o'clock, which you can hear right here on KLWN, KLWN.com, and our sister station with 105.9 KISS. There was uh, press conferences with Andy Kotelnicki and Brian Borland earlier today, and we'll share in full the Andy Kotelnicki one in the 5 o'clock hour. He was really good speaking with the media. Brian Borland is as well. I just thought, I don't know, maybe some more information uh, from from the offensive side of things. Don't try to justify it now, Derek. You hate Brian Borland. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it's just it's just the big storylines of the game were on offense, right? Jalen Daniels scoring 57 points. Defense, of course, did force four turnovers and were vital in you winning that game. You give up 56 points. And I, I just thought I, there was more like in-depth details in the presser with, with Andy Kotelnicki than Brian Borland. Again, nothing against that the other way. We are going to share some some clips uh, from Brian Borland here. Um, I do want to start, like I said, this will be a little teaser for some of the Kotelnicki audio and uh, some of the Brian Borland stuff as well. Uh, one thing with, with Jared Casey, you know, is almost like the story of who is this guy, where did he come from, all these things. I thought this was really interesting. Um, this was a question about, like, when did you know Jared Casey was, I don't know, uh, a guy who could make a play like that. Um, and Andy Kotelnicki had rave reviews for him in, in talking about his catching ability earlier today. One of our first weekends do workouts and stuff, and you can, um, you know, you, you can't see kids throw footballs and stuff like that, but you can do hand-eye coordination drills with tennis balls and stuff, and you could kind of tell he's a natural ball catcher. Um, and then you get to fall camp. He's got unbelievable hands. He probably has the best hands on the team, actually. Oscar, hand to God. Um, he, he, and so I've been able to kind of know that about him all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, and then Jalen Daniels had to kind of alluded to it in some of the conversations he's had about, you know, people, you see him make catches, great catches all, all week or all, all practice. And, um, you know, a ball throw in his direction and him catching it was the least of my concerns. You know what I mean? It really, really is. Cause he's got really good hands. So I, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, it, first of all, makes you feel like, okay, maybe there could be more in the playbook for your tight end who has the best hands on the team. Obviously, there's more to it than that, right? There's speed, there's uh, route running, there's getting open, there's, you know, he's not as tall as the other guys, and that matters for tight ends. But that wasn't just KU throwing out a guy on a key play and saying, well, let's hope this works. Yeah, I mean, he clearly wasn't a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't just out there to be distract. you know, to, to run a route that other you know, the other team might might yeah. pay attention. It wasn't to. like this was a oh, I have nowhere else to go. I have to throw. I mean, yeah, maybe he didn't it sort just of was. Maybe he was the only guy open, but, but like he found him. Yeah, and and it wasn't just again a oh, I have no other options. This is a I don't know high risk proposition. It was no like this guy catches footballs at a high rate. Like he said, he said he has the best hands on the team. I, I think that was in in reference to the tight ends, not like everyone, the receivers included. But that's, I mean, that's glowing remarks for a guy uh, coming into that, which I think brings me into the next part that I found interesting in some of these other clips here. Real You'll quick. Find, oh, I, go ahead. Well, I would just want to add how much, you know, I, I, I'm i interested. He says, you know, there's there's a time in the offseason where you're not allowed to use a football, but they do various drills with tennis balls and those sorts of things. That's, I think that's an interesting look into the life and the mind of a coach and how, they find every opportunity to analyze what a player might be able to do and find all sorts of creative ways to analyze what a player might be capable of. And I think that kind of as well goes into the these next couple of clips, just the idea of like de- being detail-oriented. And I don't necessarily know that that's always been the case with past KU coaches, and, and I don't want to make this sound like, oh, well, KU's just doing something here that nobody else in the country is like, there are many other colleges who are very detail-oriented as well, but there's a common theme between some of the best colleges happen to do this, and I think in years past, hasn't always been the case with KU. You know, with Les Miles, I think it was very detailed lacking almost to a point. Um, I think with David Beatty, it was detail-oriented, but focusing on the wrong details. It wasn't always focused on the right things and knowing how to run a program and what were the right details that you need to focus on. I don't think you have that issue with this coaching staff and with this team. I think they they do that very, very well. 
And some of these clips that we're about to share, I think, kind of uh, give good illustration of that and how much they focus on the process and the, and the small things. The first of them is Joey Gilbertson, who came in. He's a young offensive lineman for this team. And the play that a lot of people remember where Jalen Daniels throws to Trevor Cardell and he gets hit on the legs, survives the the hit, holds on to the catch on the big third down and long. Andy Kotelnicki here talking about kind of the small details of it with how Joey Gilbertson, this young offensive lineman, came on and kind of made one of those plays where it's the inches that decide the game. Okay, everyone everyone remembers Trevor Cardell's great catch back across the middle there, right, when, when Jalen had scrambled, right, the high one that converted the third down. Everyone remembers Cardell. Well, they had brought this pressure inside, and they had this, uh, this twist game that was really pretty hard, probably kind of hard to pick up. And Joey Gilbertson leaves the end goal, lets the let it travel out to the tackle late and there's so there's this late twist that's occurring inside between the linebacker and the dn or d lineman and joey gilbertson leaves his feet dives with just great strain and gets just a just a little shove on the back like hardly anything at all but just enough to knock him off a quarter of a yard and jalen daniels escapes by the shoelace and I showed that to the whole offices, and we talked about this being the difference, right? Okay. I said, that was it right there. I said, imagine if we don't convert that. You know what I mean? And you think about those moments in games, and at any point when you lose it or win a game like that, one of those plays is the difference. And that is 100% true. It's it's the small things. It's the small details that end up deciding things. And that really has been, uh, I guess, maybe the the biggest improvement that you see with this staff, like I said, over last staffs and something they have to do. Now, here's one coming from Brian Borland talking about kind of the intricacies and, and those details that you would teach a corner that help a guy like Jacoby Bryant, who's such a great athlete to begin with, help get a big pick six. Some guys have abilities like that. Some guys don't, but you got to know what you're looking for also. And and you got to, sometimes you got to be taught what you need to look for. So I can't tell you that he necessarily knew go before the play that guy was gonna, you know, run that comeback out route. But um, he was able to play man coverage and and really have good discipline with his eyes. And you can see the re- receiver's feet start to shorten up, his hips drop, his hands drop low. Well, all those you put all those things together, that means he's gonna he's gonna break off his route. So um, so when you see that's and I think those that's part of the teaching. And I think you know Chevis Jackson, our corners coach. Does a spends a lot of time on you know man man technique and you know just really things that you should be looking for and queuing into and that's just that's kind of good to see because I feel like it, it 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 comes to fruition and kids be able to put it all together and make a huge play. And so again, you hear all the kind of small details there that go into this. And like I said, that it's not that this hasn't happened before. It's just maybe been either misdirected or not done enough. And like you have a guy like Chevis Jackson who was on the previous staff. So obviously that's still happening. It's just not maybe as widespread as this current staff is focusing on it and, and how hardworking they are to get those details across. This next one is my favorite one because it, it kind of takes all of that and the, the focus on the detail and these small little fundamental drills that they do in practice. Like you see the the board hitting uh, during you know training camp and the offseason and stuff. And uh, this was one in discussing there was there was a scramble play by Jalen Daniels on the first drive of the game, um, and, and he dives to get the first down to keep the drive alive. They end up going and get a touchdown. And here is Andy Kotelnicki talking about that scramble and just one of those little drills that relates to that in practice. You know what I mean? That was a big deal. And more importantly for him, um, when you look at how he finished that that run, with that fall forward mentality that I've referenced in here before, straining to get a first down in the sticks. The, uh, was it, um, I think Jesse might have been you, one of the practice, one of these meetings you commented if you saw me holding a stick on the sideline. Is that right? Was it, it was you? That was yep. me, yeah. I, that, that was literally that drill right there. You know what I mean? When you watch that, and if you could, if you remember what that looked like, Jesse, on that, him straining to fall forward to get it, that's a big deal. You know what I mean? And I'm excited as a coach and a teacher because you got a player who's doing it and you have an opportunity for them to execute and do exactly what we're emphasizing in practice. Like those are the small details. Like uh, not every coaching staff thinks of doing a drill to where you have to reach the football out for the pylon. 
right? Yeah, and I also think what that does is it adds legitimacy to the coaches where mm-hmm. they can say, look, when they, when it you know when it's August and it's a million degrees and you know the the players are hating the coaches because it's a million degrees and you know they're they're four weeks out from their first game and it's just that time of the year. This this lends legitimacy to what they're doing where they can say, no, look, this is why we're doing that. This is the reason we, you know, this is why we came up with this drill. This is when it's going to help. It's hard to point to, you know, specific moments. I mean, yeah, you can say, yeah, we do conditioning and we run sprints and we do this and that in in our strength and conditioning program because, you know, we're going to need to make a comeback in the fourth quarter or it's going to be a tight game. You know, you can point to that, but you can point to a specific drill now and say, this is why we do this. You can pull up film. Yeah. It's just it's just a level of competency, I think, from this coaching staff. And again, there are other schools across the country that are focusing on <laughs> yeah. the small details. I think this right? conversation really kind of shows how low the bar's been yeah. for a few years. No, 100%. And, and I think that does apply here. But the fact that you have the staff that's doing that stuff now, you have the right guy in charge. You have the right staff in charge. And it hasn't always been pretty this year. It won't be pretty the rest of the way. I'm sure there's going to be moments on Saturday against TCU, heck, maybe in the, even in the final two games overall against TCU and West Virginia where it's not going to be pretty. We did talk about, though, even in the blowout losses, there haven't been a ton of moments mm-hmm. um, where they just looked like, I don't know, they, they, they weren't beating themselves too badly. Yeah, I think in every loss they've had this year, they've just been clearly overmatched. And that is so refreshing for this team that they are no longer, I guess, just overmatched from the coaching standpoint, overmatched from the small detail standpoint. That's clearly something that, to me, is getting fixed very rapidly for this football program. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it.